this morning. We are a capitalist country. You know what that is? We are a capitalist country. The system under which we function in the way we understand value is what is known as a capitalist system. Capitalist. What's interesting about that, what's interesting biblically about that, is that in a capitalist system, the buyer determines the value of something. I mentioned this before to you. I want to bring you back around to it as a Christmas thought. The, the buyer determines the value of a thing. The buyer determines the value of a thing. I want you to hold that in your mind because we're, we're going to be exchanging presents. We're going to be doing a bunch of those things this Christmas. But I want you to, to hold in your mind this concept. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain it a little more. But I just want you to hold that as the first thing you think about today. The buyer determines the value of something. The value of something is determined by what the buyer is willing to sacrifice for it. You got it? Okay. So I want you to hold that as we look uh, to what I've been looking at the odd things that happen at Christmas time. And in Sweden, they build a giant goat. Since 1964, they've been building this giant goat. There was no explanation that I could find on why they build a giant goat. At least I knew with KFC why they were eating KFC, but there's no explanation about the giant goat. And, and somebody probably knows, I don't. But since 1964, there's been an ongoing sort of secondary Swedish uh, Christmas uh, uh, celebration that goes on. And that is to figure out how to sneak up while everybody is still watching and burn the giant goat down. So they build a giant goat and then they try, some people try to figure out how to burn the giant goat to the ground. So this is actually a picture taken right before this goat was set on fire a couple of years ago. It's now been successfully burned to the ground 39 times since 1964. So if you happen to be in Sweden at Christmas time, make sure you go see the goat and try to get there when they set it on fire. Because I think the spectacular part of the goat is roast goat. And so at Christmas time in Sweden, that's the unusual of the, of the Swedish holidays. I, you know, and, and if people looking into the United States would talk about our behaviors in the mall and how Christmas Eve is guys' day at the mall and those kinds of things. But all of that, it, it doesn't strike me as odd. But this strikes me as different and a little odd. As we talk about the Christmas fact, the reality of Christmas... Christmas as it really took place. Today I want to talk a little bit about the Magi. Christmas and the Magi. What was the first point I wanted you to hang on to? The buyer determines the value of something. Capitalist system. The buyer determines the value of a thing. 
The value isn't set by an outside source. It can be attempted to be. We try all the time to manipulate that system and, and set certain values on things. But it, ultimately, unless somebody is willing to pay you that value, it doesn't happen. It, you know it's true when you put something out on the market. You, you, you're trying to sell a car or you're, you're trying to do something. You put it out on Craigslist and you say, I want this much for it. And you always set the value a little higher than you expect to finally get, right? Why? Because the buyer is the one who determines the value, not you. And so when the buyer comes in that negotiation process, you expect to have to give a little in order to establish a value that the buyer is comfortable with. So when I talk about Christmas, I want you to realize that the buyer determines the value of a thing. The buyer determines the value of a thing. For God the infinite creator of all things, so loved, loved so completely in, the, in a way that only the infinite God could love, loved that, that value, that component that is beyond explanation but is absolutely, exquisitely defined in every day. The world, this place of in, infinite debt that he gave, His only son, a gift of infinite value to save us. The buyer determines the value of a thing and the magi. So we're going to talk a little bit about the magi and some history and some some, some ideas that, that, that support the Christmas story among the magi. But don't forget that the magi were setting the value of the coming king. The magi were setting the value of a king to be born in Judea. This little baby. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. If you're reading a more modern translation, it often will say wise men, but the actual word here is magi. And the word magi is a specific term. Magi is a wise man, a particular Persian wise man, a particular Persian priest, or some say missionary, who are Zoroastrian. You a little bit aware of Zoroastrianism? Zoroastrianism is a very old Persian religion. Zoroastrianism is a, is a monotheistic religion who believed in a coming Messiah. It has a lot of similar layouts to to uh, the biblical understandings, the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament in particular, there's a lot of similar layers to Zoroastrianism than there are to biblical religion. That, ma- that, that coming Messiah who would come out of Judea and that coming Messiah or that, and that one God who, who is really the one who rules over the whole world who created everything. Zoroastrian magi were priests, astrologers, astronomers who were interpreting dreams. Now, astrologer, astronomer, I say, because in, the, in these centuries, you can't separate the two. You can't say they were astronomers because they looked at the sky and they understood when things, what the cycles of the sun and the moon and the stars were. That's an astronomy thing. But they were also astrologers. They looked at the sky and they saw animals and, per, and all kinds of things up there and they thought those things affected the way the world worked. And so astrologers and astronomers, it's important that you get that because as we talk about this today and the Magi following a star, it becomes important to the story. Okay? These are the kind of people who would follow a star. 
So when we started this story last week, we said, is this the right kind of time, the right kind of place, the right kind of atmosphere? And all the historical data sort of laid itself out to say, yeah, this story is reasonable to believe to be true. The Magi add another layer of reasonability here because the Magi are astronomer astrologers from the east, from Persia, which would be the east to Jerusalem. They're coming from the east. And these, these Magi Persian astrologer astronomer types would be looking for stars to follow. You got it? You see how it sort of, sort of lays another layer of believability on the story? In the first century, for them to declare some Magi showed up, it would be hard for them to know enough about the Magi from there in Jerusalem to give us this kind of layering of information and historicity in the story. You got it? Okay. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during, King Her- during the time of King Herod, the Magi came from the east and they came to Jerusalem. So I want you to catch from the east. Let me back up one. If you're looking at Persia, I just put a line from the center of Iran, which is approximately Persia today. Okay? I put a, a, a line out from somewhere in the center. We don't know where they came. Could have been the east, could have been the west, south, north. We don't know. We, I just put one in the middle to kind of give us an idea of how far they might travel. So if they went directly west from there, and they probably wouldn't. They would probably be following water sources to get out there. If they went directly west from there, you see this is quite a long journey, right? This is a journey of thousands of miles. The Magi, the Magi determined the value that they were putting on this king who was to be born in Judea. And the first sense of the value that we get in our understanding today is how far they traveled. How far they traveled. So they traveled from somewhere in Iran, from, from Persia, across, probably as most travelers did, to the Tigris of Euphrates. Okay? They would go there because it was a consistent water system that they could depend on for the rest of their trip. They wouldn't cut straight across. They wouldn't cut straight across through the deserts because it was just too, too risky. And so they would typically come out and they would catch the Tigris and Euphrates somewhere and then they would begin to follow it north. Actually, sort of northwest. And as they followed the river basin northwest, they would go into the hill country far into the north, northern Iran, southern Turkey. And as they worked their way up along that route somewhere, that caravan normally would turn to the south and begin to follow water systems on down. You get the picture? You've got to follow the water because you have camels to water. You have to take, take care of yourself. You can't live too long without water for yourself. And then they would follow a path something like that down to Jerusalem. So do you, are you getting an, an, an inkling of how long it might take and how serious they had to be about this journey to come that far to Jerusalem? I mean, a lot of us would not go across the road for a lot of things. You know what I mean? We wouldn't go across the road because we just don't value it enough. Um, in, in our society, a lot of people won't go across the road to go to church. In, in, in the culture that we live in today, the devaluing of church has become so normative that for our culture to talk about church is, is actually kind of a, an assault. People actually think that you're putting pressure on them. We have these things called microaggressions in our world, which is really weird to me. But church has become a microaggression to some folks. You bring up church, suddenly you've, put them un- you've made them uncomfortable. We have so devalued this Judean king in our culture that we actually wouldn't go across the street in large parts of our culture to see Jesus. 
And yet these guys, on the whim of a star they saw, set out on a journey of thousands of miles. Consider the cost. Personal cost. Actual financial cost for these guys to make this kind of journey. If you hopped in your car today and headed east and you were planning to go to New York, how long would it take you? Four days? I heard three days. Somebody said two days? You're driving fast. (laughs) It's a long way, right? But it's not that big a deal for you, right? You can get on a freeway. You can stop at gas stations and and, and restaurants. It's pretty comfortable for you. For these guys... They had to carry provisions that would get them across whatever long stretches there were, and they had to reprovision every time they got to a community so that they could continue on their journey. This was quite an expensive and difficult trip. The Magi set the value of this Judean king like no one else in the story. And looking back on it, looking back at it, we raise the stature of these people. We actually say these had to be kings. We call them the the three kings. Now, there probably were not only three of them. There probably were more than that. And there were not kings as far as the Bible is concerned. Uh, We'll we'll explain all this stuff uh, maybe at a letter, maybe next week, maybe next week. But understand that this, this concept, these guys had to be kings, people think, in order to make such a trip, in order to have such gifts. Maybe they were just people who valued Jesus so much that they were willing to put themselves way out on the edge in order to see him and worship him. You think? The Magi set the value of this Judean king. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod the king, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to do what? Worship him. You know the, the, the root word of worship? is worth. We came to demonstrate how much we value Him. We come from Sabbath to Sabbath. And one of the things I think we miss is that we're here to worship. We understand fellowship and we gather for fellowship and we get that that's going on in here this morning. But in so many ways, we miss the concept that we've come. We've gotten ourselves together. We've gotten our kids up and we've, we've gotten everybody down here for this occasion this morning because we want to demonstrate how much we value Jesus. And when you stand up to sing and you let your voice be heard among the saints, you're declaring the value, the worth with which you hold Jesus. You, you're saying, I value Jesus this much. And you sing out, you sing those words, and those words reach in and touch you because worship is a natural, is a built-in, it's a, it's a God-designed taste of eternity for every human being. When you worship, it aligns you with how you were, what you were designed by God to do and be. In fact, I think it's the only thing we actually take into heaven. Our character, such as it is, and the act of worship translates to heaven. Declaring the worth, the value of God. They saw his star in the east. Now, what I'm going to share with you now is kind of some latest discoveries that I've had. It's theoretical, and I'm going to grant you that right up front. Okay? 
But I, it's interesting to note that we've got something going on in the computer age we've never had before. And that's the ability to roll back the clock in terms of astronomy. Astronomers are able to look back in time at, at, at the things that were going on in the heavens because the heavens are predictable and movable. They're like a clock. You can roll that clock forward, you can roll that clock backwards, and you can see what's going on. It's how they predict that there's going to be an eclipse. Some of you went to see this eclipse here just a few uh, months ago. The way they were able to predict the exact day and time is because the, the, the heavens move very predictably like a clock. And if it moves forward like a clock, it can be moved backward like a clock as well. And so I'm going to share with you uh, the theories of a, of a, a particular uh, person. Oh, well, maybe I ought to get to this first. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. I'm missing my little screen down there. Before I go on, I want you to go to, to the only prophecy about this star in the Bible. You remember Balaam? Raise your hand if you remember Balaam. Okay, good. I was worried. Balaam is the guy whose donkey talked to him. Now, do you remember Balaam? Yeah, that's the guy whose donkey talked to him. The donkey actually saved his life. So talking donkeys were not new with Shrek, by the way. It's a biblical idea. His donkey talked to him and kept him from being killed because it was an angel of the Lord standing in front of him with his sword out and the donkey would not move no matter what the guy did to him until the donkey finally was given voice by God to say, What are you doing? Why are you beating me? Do you not see the angel, dummy? I'm the donkey and you don't see the angel. You can put that wherever you want to put that. The story goes on and he's trying to curse Israel. He's been hired by Balak to curse Israel. And he can't do it. Every time he goes to curse Israel, only blessings come out of his mouth. And it just keeps coming until we reach chapter 24. And in chapter 24, he realizes that God is desiring for him to bless Israel. And so he gives up and just goes. We do not know where Balaam came from. He's not listed among the prophets of God. He's there on the other side of the Jordan before the people of Israel even get to the promised land. He's related in some way to these people who are worshiping the one true God. And we don't know where he is, where he came from. So one of the things we want to make sure we do as we're reading the Bible is don't limit the behavior of God to just Judah. That that God is active in the whole world is going to be so clear to us at the end of time. We are going to get to heaven heaven and there's going to be a lot of explaining that has to be done because we're going to be so confused. Because the believers are going to think we're the only ones who should be here because we were the ones who had the information. But Jesus said, I have sheep that are not of this fold. And at that time, the fold was Judah and paganism. Let that disrupt your thinking. In our church, early on, we had, a, we had an, an, an exhibition of the authority and power of God in the life of a 17-year-old girl. One of the things that 17-year-old said as she grew older and, and matured in her walk with God, one of the things she said later on in her life, in, a, in, a, in, in her, her descriptions of this moment, one of the things Ellen White said was, many, many people will need to be introduced to Jesus when they get to heaven. Think about it. Let that disrupt your whole little brain. See, I think I got the world pretty well figured out. And then I read stuff like that and it's like, okay, I don't. But it makes sense that God who is trying to rescue us would not limit his activities to one little narrow strip along the Mediterranean. Doesn't it? The processes, everybody is saved by the sacrifice of Christ. No question. 
But Adam is going to have to be introduced to Jesus. Okay? So let's just recognize that there's a whole lot of things we don't know. We don't know where Balaam came from. We know that he's listening to the actual real God because the real God is directing his commentary. When you get to chapter 24, verse 17, we have the only place where this the star out of Judah is mentioned. And there it is in verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's the only place it's mentioned in the Bible. Only place it's mentioned. A star shall come out of Jacob. I see him, but not now. This is future. I behold him, but not near. Not close future. It's distant. A star shall come out of Jacob. Who's Jacob? What's Jacob's other name? Israel. A star shall come out of Israel. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's, what's, that's the prediction that will be happening. Now imagine if you're a, a group of astrologer, astronomer types who are living there in Persia, and there's this ancient prophecy floating around. Now, who else have you had contact in the region of Persia before that would help you with this understanding? Do you remember that some Jewish people were taken off to Babylon, which became part of the Persian Empire, and that they lived there? Many of them lived on long after a group of them went back to Israel. Do you remember a particular prophet in there who was talking a lot about the Messiah? Yeah, there's a prophet named Daniel. It's a short book in the, in the Old Testament, but he's talking a lot about these kinds of things. And he has a specific prophecy that outlines when the Messiah should come. It is not unreasonable to think that outside of Israel there were other people looking for this Messiah. Do you realize that when uh, 1844 was unrolling, for those of you who are familiar with uh, Adventist eschatology, there were at least six people around the world sharing that information that didn't know each other? People are not in a vacuum. So my question, and I, and I realize that what I'm telling you right now is a, a, a line of dots that may not connect, but here's my dots. There are some people in Persia after Daniel and the Israelites lived there who have become monotheistic, and they're waiting for a Messiah. And a group of these people are watching for a star to come out of Israel at about this time. And one morning... As the sun comes up and they're looking off to the east, things start to line up. We saw his star in the east. And so we're coming. I'm going to hurry through this next bit. We saw his star in the east means that they were looking off toward the rising of the sun. And have come to worship him. Here's what happened on April 17th, 6 B.C. Like I said, they can roll back the clock now and see what happened in the skies. Venus, Saturn, and Jupiter were all in a line. Okay? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen all the stars? There was once a couple of years ago when I could see all five visible, visible planets from my backyard. I actually called Bruce Milbury because he's my friend who, who knows the sky. So I called him. I said, am I actually looking at the stars? Or what am I actually looking at in the sky? And he said, yeah, right now you should be able to see all five of the, of the visible planets. And so I actually had, I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. But he saw, they saw on this morning that these three planets were in a line. They're in a line as the sun rises with the sun and the moon, okay? So there's this arising sort of interesting astronomical phenomenon. It happens about every 70 years. 
Okay? So this would have been something that, unless they had lived a really long time and were paying attention when they were kids, this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime sort of a thing that they saw coming up in this, this line. And then Jupiter, which is the star they accounted as regal. Okay? I know I'm getting all, I'm, you're, I'm wandering off from some biblical stuff, and now you guys are like falling asleep on me. Stay with me, because this is how these guys may have found Jesus. This Jupiter star, which they consider regal, the star these astro- astrological people are looking for in the ram, because ram is what they associated with Judea. Judea has this regal star coming up in it on April 17th, 6 BC. According to Professor Michael Molnar from Rutgers University, he wrote a book about this, The Legacy of the Magi. You can look it up for yourself. His thinking is, this is what set these guys off, got them started. This weird phenomena. In fact, beyond what just that line of stars, all the planets were visible that night, which is a sort of very, very unique thing, like every four or five hundred years. See with me. You don't have to believe me. You just have to understand what I'm saying. Okay? Here's my point. Here's my point. The Magi are real people at the time of Jesus. They're really off in the east at the time of Jesus. And they're really watching the sky at the time of Jesus. And this may actually be what they saw at the time of Jesus. Why, why 6 BC? I'll get to that in a minute. Dionysus, Exodus, was tasked with rewriting the calendar and getting away from the old Roman calendar and setting things up on a, on a rotation that would be more Christian. Okay? As he was set up to do this, he started by saying, okay, how do I figure out how to start the calendar? And he decided to start the calendar with the birth of Jesus. Well, how do I establish the birth of Jesus? Well, I know his ages and I know some of those things. So he started looking at the reigns of the kings, which were very carefully monitored. They, and he, would, he could go back through the emperors of Rome until he got back to the time of Jesus. Who's the emperor at the time of Jesus? Augustus Caesar is the emperor at the time of Jesus. So we know who the emperor is. So he could get kind of close The problem is he seems to have missed the fact that Augustus actually went under the name Octavian for the first four years of his reign. And so he's off a little bit. He didn't account for a zero year. So we could very well be looking at about six when they see this. Do you get me? Do you see why I think this is plausible? Man, I know this is math class and history class. And it's so hard to keep everybody paying attention during math and history. Having taught history. Okay? So my understanding of this guy is that his calendar's off a little bit. We've always recognized that it's at least three to six years off. And six years puts us right smack where we find this particular line of stars coming up in the east, just as the Bible describes. Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> I, I love the skeptical looks on some of your faces. It's okay. It's all right for you to be a little skeptical. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people and chief priests, by the way, before I go on, the trek across the desert. Why? Because they saw a star. That's all. That's all they say. We saw a star in the east. And we know that there's a Judean king. So we came. We came to find the king. That star sets them off, and then they get there, and Herod gets bugged by it. He's disturbed in all Jerusalem with them. When he had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, 
In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet said, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them, and watch this line, the exact time the star had appeared. Why? Why is that important? Hang on to the fact. He, then, he sent them on to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. What's he claiming he's going to do? Worship him. He's also going to value this rising king. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and, a star, and the star that they had seen, when it was rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So apparently they haven't seen the star for a while. Get it? Are you following the point of the story? We have often said, oh, the star went in front of them the whole time. And they marched following the star the whole time. But they apparently didn't. They had seen it in the east. They hadn't seen it again. And now it appears again as they head for Bethlehem. You with me so far? Okay. Okay, we go on with a little bit more of, of, of uh, physics class, history class, and math class. Viewed from Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because that's where they are now. Viewed from Jerusalem, Jupiter, by December, is in the southern sky. Why would I go so far out as December? First, they have to plan for the trip. They have to provision for the trip. They have to make the trip. So I think it might have taken, taken them a little while to get there. Got it? By December, Jupiter is in the southern sky and it's hanging right over Bethlehem. Here's my point. Jesus is born in the right place under the right king in the right circumstances. And these guys who come from the east belong in the east on that, at that time in history. They are following stars like that in that time of history. That they would show up and Herod would be disturbed is very clear from the text. And that they would be following a star and that the stars are behaving in a way that would be impactful for them seems awfully coincidental to be an accident. On the coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother's Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Gold. The most expensive ore they could bring. Frankincense and myrrh. The most expensive spices worth more pound for pound than gold that they could bring. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and they demonstrated how much they valued him. You see, this story has another end. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition from the fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish and without spot. Magi showed how much they valued Jesus. Jesus showed how much he values you. The worth of something is set by the buyer. And we were purchased with the blood of Christ. The Lamb of God. The infinite Father. With infinite love. Gave the infinite gift to pay our infinite debt because he loves us. And that's the only reason. Your value is set by the one who purchased you on the cross. See, that's Christmas. You can't separate the manger from the cross. You can't separate your value from the heart of God. And these guys wandering in from the east, they're just an illustration. They're just a picture of how much mankind might value Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, It's easy to forget what this is all about. It's easy to forget that this is a 